So we have a number of new people joining us tonight, and I'd like to welcome you all. Uh, welcome everyone to winter in New England, <laughs> feels like. Um, uh, I myself have just come back from a month of practice in Burma. I went to practice with a teacher, uh, Sayada Utejaniya. It was a very inspiring month for me. And I also find it kind of a potent moment when, you know, after a period of practice, I come and I take this seat. Um, you know, one of the things that happens as I practice is the more that I see that I know, the more I realize what I don't know. And it's always very humbling to come and sit up here. During my time in Burma, I met this young woman. It was her first period of practice. And she had heard that I was a teacher at IMS and that I had over, over 30 years of practice experience. And so, you know, she comes up to me kind of awestruck and says, you've been practicing for 30 years? <laughs> and I said, yes. And she said, and you still see new things in your mind? And I said, yes. And I was kind of half expecting her to say, after 30 years, you didn't get it yet? <laughs> but she said, whoa, how inspiring. And, you know, for me, it's just amazing to sit, look into this mind, and it does, it just keeps unfolding, unfolding in new ways, new understanding, you know, just seeing how in different ways I get caught, stuck, identified, and the understanding that can unbind that, that can free the heart. So, you know, after a period of practice, I feel somewhat inspired and humbled. Um, Tonight I wanted to talk about, uh, because there's so many people joining us, something that's really foundational. And, you know, as I look to, you know, what is really foundational in this practice, it seemed obvious to me, and that taking refuge... You know, we just chanted the refuges together. But I wanted to speak about what this is about. Because actually the refuges in Buddhist teachings are said to be the doorway to the Buddhist teachings. And, you know, in my own life, you know, taking refuge, when I first went to retreat and took refuge, I was squeamish. I didn't come to the practice to become a Buddhist. And it was a little bit uncomfortable with it. But over the years, through my own exploration of what taking refuge is, what refuge in itself is, it's really opened up. And I can understand how it is put forth as the doorway to the Buddhist teachings. The word refuge itself implies safety, protection, getting shelter from states of fear, getting shelter from harm, despair. In the outer world in which we live in now, there is danger all around us at times. You know, we live in a time when violence is escalating. 
when it's easy to kill hundreds of people. We live in a time when terrorism is strengthening. On a smaller scale in our lives, just, you know, finding ways to support ourselves, to have shelter, to have food, um, to have clothing, that there's challenges we face. There's, there's always unforeseen events. You know, we can one day simply lose our job. One day we might be diagnosed with a serious illness. Things are always changing. Within just our mind, there's so many disturbing forces. You know, so many times when anger arises, judgment, self-hatred, states of mind that are lacerating, painful. If we don't have a form of refuge, life can seem unbearable. We live in contracted states. We live fearful, anxious. And it's really unrealistic to think that we can navigate life without a sense of refuge. And if we look at how we live life, what we will see is that we are continually seeking refuge. We might seek refuge in our relationships. We might seek refuge in having job security, having a home that we feel safe in. We might seek refuge in mind states, trying to have a calm and peaceful mind. Sometimes we seek refuge in memories, things of the past. Sometimes we seek refuge in fantasies of what we might get in life. We're continually seeking refuge when we identify with our experiences. We can have this habit of mind to take refuge in things and experiences. But when we look more closely, we see there is a pitfall in this. That all these experiences, all these events, all of this is subject to change. And so what happens to our source of refuge when it disappears, when it's no longer reliable, when the circumstances of life change? What happens then? We often find that fear accelerates, anxiety. We feel betrayed, disappointed, let down by life, let down by people. But the Buddha discovered that even though as human beings we are vulnerable, we are subject to a continually changing world, we can find refuge. 
we can find that which is reliable, that which is indestructible. We find that we have simply been looking in the wrong direction. A yogi once said to me what was a great line. He said, you know, I feel like all my life I have been betting on the wrong horse. Through looking to what the Buddha spoke about as what we can take refuge in, and he spoke about taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. In taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, it helps to turn our minds towards that which is reliable. We turn our minds towards that which is the truth. We turn our mind towards a way of life that is in accordance with the truth. And this is what will bring peace. This is what will bring true happiness. This is what will help us to be at peace and at ease in life, not continually fighting with the way things are. We all have within us a homing instinct for happiness. It's just happened in our lives that what we thought would bring us happiness is not reliable. And it's through our practice, it's through mindfulness, it's through trusting in awareness itself that we will find true happiness, that we will be able to cut through the veils of ignorance and see clearly for ourselves, see clearly in a way that we understand the truth of things. Through our practice, we discover that there is a refuge in being with the knowing mind, being with awareness, and doing this with complete simplicity. No, it isn't that we have to study hard. We really need to just turn and look within, look into this body mind experience and see it as it is. And this includes all aspects of experience. This is what we can look to for understanding. This is what we can look to to discover our innate wisdom. We can see how it is a refuge to be present in this moment when we look to what it's like 
as we might be sitting here and suddenly we remember something, some event from our lives that maybe is causing some anxiety, distress. We feel like there might be something we need to do. And, you know, if this comes to mind and we get caught in it, identified with it, the anxiety and fear will exacerbate itself. But if, as it comes to mind, we have the capacity to be present for it, to see it as it is, we understand it to be a thought in the mind. If fear is there, we understand it to simply be fear. It isn't the sum total of who we are. It's arisen out of conditions. And if we don't feed it, it doesn't strengthen. We see it in its nature. We understand it as it is. And it doesn't have power over us. We can keep falling back and resting upon awareness. The Buddha laid out quite clearly what it is we can keep turning our minds towards as a source of refuge when he spoke about taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. I just want to check, is this loud enough? Yeah? Okay. The Buddha and the Dharmas and Sangha are called the Triple Gems, and they're um, described as being that which is precious, that which is beautiful, and that which is indestructible. To take refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha is to take refuge in the qualities that lead to the path of liberation. To take refuge is a way of making conscious our determination to realize the full potential of being a human being. It's a way in which we call forth all of the wholesome force within us that wants to be happy and allow that intention within our hearts to be a source of refuge to be a source of strength, to help us build confidence, to help us have faith. To take refuge is a way of letting go of the identification with a small, separate self and looking towards that which is noble, that which is wise, the inherent wisdom within us. In difficult times, it helps us to get in touch with the innate wisdom 
And sometimes that wisdom is shrouded over. We can't see clearly. But in those times, we can rest in knowing that we have a great potential within us. So the first refuge, taking refuge in the Buddha. For some of us, it's very inspiring to know that there was a man who lived over 2,500 years ago, a human being. You know, he wasn't a god. He wasn't a celestial being. You know, he was really a human being who, you know, although he was born into a wealthy existence, you know, kind of very favorable circumstances, he still saw that there was suffering. He still saw that as a human being, that there was this tendency to want to take refuge in things that were impermanent. And it was really unsatisfactory. And he looked to find out where true happiness could be found. And he found it. And you know, given that just one person could do that, it means that every person has that capacity. It's something that we can all do. We can all awaken. We can all live in a way that there is peace, that there is happiness. It's not out of our reach. When we take refuge in the Buddha, it can be, you know, for some of us, it's very inspiring to remember this historical figure. But it's also taking refuge in that own inherent capacity within us, our own Buddha nature that we all have. Sometimes that feels too abstract. You know, we may not really resonate with enlightenment, awakening. You know, it feels too high and lofty. But we can also take refuge in the qualities of the awakened mind, the qualities that come forth when we aren't habitually run by greed, hatred, and delusion. The qualities of loving-kindness, compassion, wisdom, equanimity. And just calling forth these qualities within ourselves. So that can mean, you know, as we're sitting here in a moment of anger, that we just don't get lost in the anger. Even though we may experience its unpleasantness, um, have moments where we are caught, in those moments we can cultivate loving-kindness, patience, compassion. I have found it really helpful in my own practice 
to take refuge in the Buddha. You know, in really hard, difficult times, to remember that even though I can't see it, Buddha nature is there. It helps me to keep from, you know, cutting off from that which is difficult. It helps me to soften in those moments, to bear witness. You know, remembering the Buddha who sat under the Bodhi tree and, you know, called the earth to bear witness. Bearing witness to the challenges in my own mind. And remembering that this man, the Buddha, he faced these same challenges and he found a way to be free. And that pathway is open to me. Sometimes in practice, we find that we get a whiff of this Buddha nature. You know, at times when mindfulness is strong, a sense of resting in awareness, we taste the mind of non-clinging. This becomes a great inspiration. It helps us to have a greater faith, confidence, So taking refuge in the Buddha, taking refuge in the historical figure, taking refuge in Buddha nature itself, and in the qualities that come forth in the awakened mind. And then taking refuge in the Dhamma. The Dhamma, too, has different meanings. The Dhamma sometimes is referred to uh, or described as the teachings that lead to liberation, the Buddhist teachings. That These are teachings that help us to see into the true nature of experience rather than being caught in deception, pretense, confusion. The Buddha offered to us this path And this path is something that can be trusted in. We live in a world where there's, you know, a lot of talk of instant enlightenment, instant remedies. Um, And it can be very confusing at times. Not, you know, it's hard to know when we have a lot of delusion in our own minds what path to trust in. And yet this path has been walked by many, many people before us. You know, it goes back through numerous, countless beings, you know, back to the time of the Buddha. And you know, it's said that there was Buddhas before him. It's a tried and true path. Dharma also means the way of things, the true nature, 
the lawfulness of life. This has been really important for me. When I take it into my own practice, what it means is what is happening here is not a mistake. What we can wake up to is this body-mind experience right now, right here. We don't need some other experience to understand the Dhamma, to understand the true nature of things. This exploration that we do is in the realm of Dhamma, the way of things. So it really helps us to trust in what's happening. It also helps us to trust in our own capacity to practice. And we can be so hard on ourselves. But all we have to do is look to this moment, the unfolding now, to whatever degree we can. And let the Dhamma unfold. Let the Dhamma reveal itself. It just takes the eyes to see. We just need to look. Looking without holding tight to our views, ideas, but just looking to what is. When I was just in Burma, one of the things Sayada Utejaniya said to me that I found very inspiring, he said, just keep looking to the Dharma. It is what's inspiring. And when we look to the Dharma, another phrase he used is, as it is. In a moment of anger, as it is, you don't need to change it. You just need to be there. You just need to see it in its nature. We can see anger as nature. We can see joy as nature. Judgment. Fear. Anxiety. Not taking them to be my anger, my fear, my anxiety, my joy, not belonging to us, conditioned experience, subject to the laws of nature. When we take Dharma as path, It's a combination of wisdom and skillful means. Wisdom is the capacity to see clearly, to know things as they are. And skillful means are techniques that help us to remove the veils of delusion, that give support to clear seeing.
As we practice here, we, many of us may be doing different practices. You know, some of us will be doing Vipassana, insight meditation. Some of us may be doing Brahma-viharas, metta, loving-kindness, compassion practices. Whatever we're doing is really a skillful means to help us see clearly, to help us call forth this wisdom that can see into the true nature of things. What we want to watch is we don't get lost in technique, the perfection of technique, because it is only skillful means. And the Dhamma is ever-present within our experience. So as we practice here, we can take refuge in our practice. And, you know, there's no beginners here. So we all are aware of the power of the practice and how it has the possibility to transform our lives, to take us out of suffering. I hear almost on a daily basis stories of how much refuge people find from doing this practice. You know, when people are faced with, um, you know, health crisis, faced with the loss of a loved one, faced with just the challenges of day-to-day life, they fall back to their practice. It's what helps. It's what gives context, meaning, understanding. I sometimes just can't imagine what it's like to face these challenges without having something so potent, so profound as this practice. How much fear there might be, how much more fear, because sometimes there still is fear, because we don't have complete understanding. But the practice is like, it gives us a rudder it gives you know, something to help guide us, something to something reliable. It doesn't save us from you know, different things that may happen in life. Uh, you know, if we go to a doctor and diagnosed with an illness, it's not as if we practice that it's going to cure all our physical ailments. But what it does give us is refuge as we go through the process of being ill. So that, you know, we don't have to get lost in despair, grief. We don't have to think that our life What's happening is a mistake. We know that we can learn from this, 
This is the possibility. We often, through these crises, see into impermanence. And, you know, if we have practice, we don't take that personally. We know that to be born as a human being, we will continually be subject to impermanence. Things will always be changing. And it's not a personal failing when illness strikes. To have a body, it's subject to decay. We find that in being here, we are training to be with whatever arises. Whatever comes up in our experience, we learn to bear witness. Bearing witness, being present for, understanding dawns. The Buddha taught a way to find happiness that is unconditioned, not just based on things being the way we like, what we want. To find a happiness that is stable, reliable. So taking refuge in the Dharma, taking refuge in the truth, the lawfulness of life, the path to liberation that combines wisdom and skillful means. It's the actualizing of the awakened mind. And then there's taking refuge in the Sangha. This too has different meanings. The first is quite inspiring. It's taking refuge in all those beings that have walked before us and have awakened. You know, it wasn't just the Buddha that did this. Many more beings have done this. They've broken through this veil of ignorance, no longer living in a way that is bound by fear, that is contracted, frightened, scared, but living in a way that is unbound, uncontracted. I know there was a time when I was sitting uh, in Burma practicing, facing challenges and, you know, feeling like this is impossible. And then I looked up on the wall and there was a picture of, well, it must have been a drawing of the Buddha followed by a number of monks out on alms round. And as I looked at this picture, I remembered that, you know, all those beings had faced challenges too. And they had been able to awaken. You know, sometimes I can think that well, you know, they, they were special. You know, they didn't have much suffering. They could, you know, some people just heard the teachings of the Buddha and wow, they woke up. You know? <laughs> so, you know, it's thinking that um, there is something different. But when you read stories of people who lived in the time of the Buddha, wow, some of them came out of immense suffering. So I would like to share 
a poem, and a, you know, it's a, an enlightenment poem from a nun who lived in the time of the Buddha. Her name was Vasiti. And uh, she was at one time happily married to a man for whom she bore a son. And when her child died, she went mad, mad and ran away from home. And there were no institutions for people like her. Um, so she had extreme grief. And she lived like an unwanted animal. Eventually, she came in touch with the Buddha and regained her sanity. And then she joined the nuns, Sangha, and eventually became an arahant, or a fully awakened one. And so this is what her enlightenment poem is. Grief-stricken for my son, mad-minded, out of my senses, I was naked with wild hair, and I wandered anywhere. I lived on trash heaps in a graveyard and by the highways, three years wandering, starved and thirsty. Then in the city of Mitala, I saw the one wholesome, one, sorry, I can't read my own writing. I saw the one who uh, tames what is untamed and goes his way in happiness, enlightened, unafraid. I came to my senses, paid homage, and sat down. Out of compassion, Gautama, and this is the Buddha, taught me the way. When I heard his words, I, sat, I set out in homelessness. By putting his teachings into practice, I realized great joy. My grief is gone, finished, ended. For I have understood the ground from which all grief comes. So the Arya Sangha is made up of people whom had intense suffering in their lives. And they awakened. Another meaning of Sangha is the ordained Sangha. All those monks and nuns who dedicate their life to practice, to the journey of awakening, to the study of the teachings of awakening. And this helps keep alive a living lineage. One teacher that I uh, met described Sangha as the living stream through which the Dhamma comes to us. You know, lineage is important. You know, for me, it's like looking back to the time of the Buddha and seeing that these teachings came down from one heart to another. I once temporarily ordained as a nun. And, you know, before I ordained, you know, just thinking of ordaining, it was just something I was going to do. I wanted to go and live as a nun amongst nuns in Burma and just see what their life was like and hadn't given much thought to the actual ordination itself. And yet, when I ordained, I had a sense of stepping in to this lineage. Stepping into this lineage and the heritage that comes with it. 
you know, the heritage of all of these qualities of awakening. It had a profound effect upon me where there was a sense of being a link in this present moment to that which is valuable, that which can bring real freedom, that which can bring understanding into this world. And this is the lineage that we join as we practice. I've also found that that brings with it a sense of responsibility. When I practiced in Burma as a nun, I went to a nunnery. And it was a nunnery in Sagain Hills. Uh, It was a beautiful nunnery. And uh, it was quite a challenging time in my own practice, even though it was very inspiring. And there was an abbess in this nunnery who was wonderful, a really great teacher. For me, she was a woman of wisdom and really, you know, uh, an inspiration as to how a woman holds wisdom and authority within this lineage. Um, There was also another nun who was her aunt. She was 84 years old. Um, She was in and out of consciousness. And I would often go and sit in her room. And when she was conscious, she was very lucid, very vibrant. Uh, I felt a lightness of being in her presence. You know, she would just wake up, and she wouldn't know whether it was day or night, but there would be a sense of total presence. Um, And both of these women were very inspiring to me. And then a few years after I left, I heard that they both died within a couple of months of each other. And for me, there had been in my own mind this sense of refuge in knowing that there was this nunnery in Sagain Hills that I could go to, and there would be these two teachers who were so inspiring to me. And then, suddenly, they were gone. And I felt this sense of responsibility that, you know, as our teachers disappear from this world, that it is really up to us to carry forth these teachings. And this became an inspiration in my practice. Because if we don't do it, who is going to? You know, we can't leave it to others. It's up to us. And, you know, I would bet that many of us sitting here realize we have no choice. You know, we've seen what it's like to live a life run by greed, hatred, and delusion. And we know what it's like when there's the coolness of mindfulness. What the difference is. And we really see there's no choice. We are a part of this living lineage. And this is another meaning of Sangha. It's those who dedicate their lives to practice to realizing the truth, 
to keeping the light of the Dhamma alive in the world. Being here as a community, this is a form of Sangha. And we can feel the support that comes from this as we come together and we sit here in the silence. And you know, one day you might be getting up from a sitting and you just don't feel like walking. And then you see your neighbor just silently walking along. And it inspires you. It keeps you going. We give each other support just in being here together. Our intention in being here. It doesn't mean that people won't rub us the wrong way. It doesn't mean that sometimes somebody might not do something stupid that's harmful. But it means that when this happens, rather than just be caught in judgment of it, whether we did it or someone else did it, we will look to understanding. We will look to what we can learn from this. We will look to how we can bring wisdom out of something that could have hurt, that could have been painful. We need companions on this journey. It's not easy to walk this path. We need support. And Sangha are those people who may have first told us about this path. Sangha can be people whom we share the path with, people who will inspire us, people who will point out things we may not want to see, but are helpful to see. Sangha, like-minded people, help us to stay on track in our lives. So Sangha, being the noble ones who have awakened, being the monastics, those people who ordain and really make this formal commitment to awakening and to all practitioners who make this commitment within themselves and as a community. So the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, these are all refuges. But they're only refuges to the degree to which they manifest. And this is where there is exploration where we need to look and understand for ourselves what it is we take refuge in. And so I invite you in your time here, in your time of practice, you know, whether it be when we're taking refuge in something that is unwholesome, whether, you know, it's taking refuge in uh, a really tasty lunch and then later paying the consequences of having overeaten to seeing what it is that's not trustworthy, or maybe having taken refuge in moments of anger where you're really identified and moved into a self-righteous blame 
and then you know feeling the pain of that or whether it's in moments where you do find refuge where there is an ease of being looking to see what's supporting your heart because you know taking refuge finding refuge that allows our hearts to rest to open to be at ease and through this we will find the innate wisdom when we're so contracted tight when we're grasping onto that which is not going to give us refuge it's painful leads to more suffering but the more we touch into that which is true refuge the more we relax the sixth Zen patriarch once said let each of us take refuge in the three gems within our own minds and this is what these triple gems lead us to you know they're not meant to be external refuges that we rely upon we find this refuge within this very mind looking within when we take refuge we are consciously aligning or orientating our life to be in accordance with our deepest aspirations So really looking within to find that which is of refuge, that which is beautiful, that which is indestructible, that which we can really rest our hearts upon, rest our life upon, this supports the unfolding of our hearts and minds so let's just sit for a moment Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.